0: Hear the word of the Lord from Genesis chapter four. Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. When he built a city, he called the name of the city after the name of his son, Enoch. To Enoch was born Irad, and Irad fathered Mahujael, and Mahujael fathered Methushael, and Methushael fathered Lamech, and Lamech took two wives. The name of one was Ada, and the name of the other. Zillah. Ada bore Jabel, and he was a father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. He was a father of all those who play the lyre and the pipe. And Zillah also bore Tubal-Cain. He was a forger of all instruments of bronze and iron. The, the sister of Tubal-Cain was Nema. Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah... Hear my voice, you wives of Lamech. Listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is seventy-sevenfold. And Adam knew his wife again. She bore a son and called his name Seth, for she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. To Seth also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. And at that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. This is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God, male and female. He created them, and he blessed them and named them man when they were created. When Adam lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness after his image, and he named him Seth. In the days of... Enosh lived after he fathered Kenan 815 years and had other sons and daughters. This all the days of Enosh were 905 years, and he died. And when Kenan had lived 70 years and fathered Mahaloloh, Kenan lived after he fathered Mahalalel 840 years and had other sons and daughters. This all the days of Kenan were 910 years, and he died. When Mahalalel had lived 65 years, he fathered Jared. 969 years, and he died. When Lamech had lived 182 years, he fathered a son and called his name Noah, saying, Out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, this one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. And Lamech lived after he fathered Noah 595 years and had other sons and daughters. This all the days of Lamech were 777 years, and he died. After Noah was 500 years old, Noah fathered Shem, Ham, and Japheth. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Amen. You may be seated. Pray with me. God, we give you thanks for your word. Your word, which you promise, does not return void. Even in these lists of names, you are at work in and among and with your people. May these words bring us encouragement. May they strengthen our faith and our bond of love for you and for each other. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Uh, so, you know, personal confession time. This is always where sermons get really weird when pastors start making public confessions. Uh, but, um, you know, I'm not sure that I have ever read a preface or a prologue to a book. Now, that might sound like sacrilegious sacrilegious to you if you're a big reader. Like, you have to read the preface or the prologue. You have no idea what's going on. But in my mind, I'm like, listen, if it was that important, then just put it in the first chapter of the book because that's where I start is in chapter one. I don't got time for prefaces and prologues. Um, And as much as, you know, if you're a big reader, you might be judging me right now. How dare you, Craig? I can't even be at this church anymore because of this confession. This is devastating to you. Uh, As much as you might judge me for that right now, I think many of us, when we're reading our Bibles, this is how we treat genealogies. Like this thing I just listed is like, whoa, he's lived a thousand years, and then he had other kids, and he died, then he had kids, and he died, we get it. They had kids, and then they died. Um, and so we we treat these, we can treat these genealogies, as like, are these optional readings? Like this is the place when you get to your Bible reading plan, you get to here, you get to other places in Genesis, you get to First Chronicles, and you're like, okay we get it. There's people, they have people, we understand how this birds and bees things work. Let's move on to the next thing. Tell us something good. And uh, you know, we think if we skip these readings, we wouldn't really miss anything. It's just this list of names. What's the big deal? You know, in fact, there was one commentary I was reading on Genesis. You know, I look at commentaries to get insights, pretend they're my own, tell them to you. And um, it's, it's a joke, you know, don't do that. It's plagiarism, it's sinful. Uh, but I was reading one commentary, and they actually skipped, they didn't say anything about this chapter. I was like, come on, <laughs> you can't just skip a chapter of the Bible, because it's a list of names. You've got to say something. And then the start of the next chapter, they said, hey, you know, briefly read through that, skim through it, and, you know, pay attention to this, these two verses. I'm like, you, you can't do that. You're supposed to tell me about this. You're supposed to help me. And... Uh, but believe it or not, these genealogies, even what's listed here, they're not just an aside. They're not just a preface. They're not just a prologue. They're actually God's word. They're just as much God's word as the, as the gospels, as the other scriptures that we read this morning. Just as inspired as every other word. And I think maybe even more than that, I might argue this morning, Well, I'm going to, uh, that these are some of the most important sections of scripture. If you know what you're looking for. Because they teach us something powerful about the God that we worship and about his people. Or they, they help teach us about God's faithfulness faithfulness to his promises. That he's going to do the things that he promised he would do. And what has he promised uh, the people that they're waiting for? Well, it's this promised seed that's going to come and deliver them from the wilderness, from wickedness, from sin. And in pointing to God's faithfulness, the people are meant to be encouraged to, to, these, these words are I meant to encourage God's people. Listen, wait on the Lord. He might be slow in coming. It might be generation after generation it takes for him to come, but wait on him. He is bringing about his promises. He is faithful to generations. He is faithful. You know, from one generation to the next, we actually might forget the promises of God. We might do a poor job of passing them down, but God does not forget Even even when people live for thousands of years, he does not forget his promises from generation to generation. And as his people, this should encourage us that we can trust, we can wait on the Lord because he does not forget like we forget. He is trustworthy. He is someone we can wait on. You know, maybe you come here this morning. Maybe you're waiting on the Lord for something. Maybe you're struggling to know is God still the faithful one that he claims to be? Are his promises still true? Is he still walking with his people? Well, there in these lists of names, you find your encouragement this morning. An encouragement to walk with God because he's the God who walks with his people. And to walk with God for us means that we, we trust him in the good and the bad and prosperity and in poverty, that we walk with God in all of life. And this is where you know life in the wilderness that we talked about last week gets so challenging for us because it's hard to, to trust God. It's hard to walk with him when he's slow, when he's slow to act, when hardships happen. You know, the natural thing for us is, you know, to find something else that's going to work maybe more quickly than God. As if to say, fine, God, you know, if, 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 if uh, you won't help me right now, then I'm going to find something else that is going to help me. And we, well, this is what we do. But as we consider these two kind of lists of genealogies this morning, from Adam to Cain to Adam to Seth, and and we as we hear about God's desire to walk with his people, I think what this is going to show us is two things. One, that walking with Cain will lead you to death and unrest. And secondly, that walking with God will lead you to, to life and rest. Because God wants you to walk with him. And so he gives us both this warning of, of where walking without him leads us and, and also this promise of where walking with him leads us. And so first, we're going to see that walking with Cain will lead you to death. Walking with Cain will lead you to death. We see this beginning here in verse 17. It says, Cain knew his wife. Um, I think we know what that means. Uh, She conceived and bore Enoch. And when he built a city, he called the name of the city after his son, Enoch. And so the first lineage we find here is in the line of Cain. What we see here from the beginning of Cain's wandering life is that even in his exile, uh, even outside the you know exile under the punishment of God for murdering his brother, um, even uh, even under the discipline of the Lord, Cain is still walking in disobedience. You know, when you discipline someone, you discipline them not just for the sake of discipline because it's not fun. You discipline them so they come back to you, right? And uh, but that's not what happens with Cain. Cain's heart is so hard that the discipline of the Lord doesn't work to draw him back, because part of Cain's curse, if you remember. In chapter 4, was that he was going to be a wanderer, it tells us. In chapter 4 in 4, 12, we find that he's part of his curse is he's going to be a wanderer of the earth, that he's going to be a nomad. Nomads don't dwell in houses. Nomads dwell in tents, right? They have no place to call home except for the road. And what's the first thing we find Cain doing after he has a son? He builds a city. It doesn't sound like a nomad's life to me. Uh, he's defying God, open defiance to God. And in a way, what you find is Cain is trying to set up like an alternative Eden. Eden was meant to be God's city on earth, that that Adam and Eve were to work and expand over the whole earth. And what does Cain do? But he he sets up a a city, an alternate city, an alternate Eden. He's building his own kingdom. It's an anti-kingdom. And from Adam to Lamech, even in this life span, what do you find? You find seven generations, like these seven new days of creation are happening here. Cain's story, in effect, is a recreation story, but it's not a good recreation. It's an anti-creation story, because Cain is is, is creating an alternate kingdom that's made in his image, and ultimately, this is we're walking with Cain does to us right walking or you could call it walking according to to yourself and your own desires this is where it takes you it takes matters into your own hands it says that walking with god is slow it's painful we don't we're not sure if it's actually going to work and so we just take it stuff uh, matters into our own hands we we just do it ourselves and so the question is kind of turned it's kind of starts to point to even the reader the listener where where are you doing this in your own life where are you tempted to build your own cities But what's so fascinating about the the way of Cain, or this way of self, is that the very thing that it despises, which is it despises the patience of God to act and his righteousness, is actually the very thing that causes God to act and bless the line of Cain, even in the midst of their wandering from him. And, you know, this is what we see here in this city that was built, a city that was built for selfish gain and motive, and to expand this selfish gain in this place of evil, what do we find? We find the building blocks of all cultures— and the fathers of those building blocks in the line of Cain. Look back here, verse 20. This is kind of wild. And Ada bore Jabal. And he was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. So Jabal is this guy. He's the father of those who have livestock. Now you might think, well, didn't Abel have livestock? Well, what, what the beginning of chapter 4 tells us that Abel um, uh, looked after sheep. And so, but this word livestock here it has this uh, idea that there's a much wider amount of animals that he is overseeing. He's not just one; uh, it's not just sheep. But it's sheep. It's goats. It's cows. It's, it's all the various kinds of livestock. And I think one of the things he's uh, is pointing out that, in a, in a way, he's the father of business and commerce. Comes back to Jabel, verse 21. Find his brother Jubal. What is he the father? Of? He's the father of music and the arts. So all our music, even the instruments we play on Sunday morning, all of all of those things have their 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 foundation in in Jubal, even the stained glass in this room has its roots with Jubal. And, and next, you see the third brother, Tubal Cain. In verse twenty two, and who is he? Well, he's, he's someone who forges bronze and iron. It tells us what is someone who forges bronze and iron. But he's someone who creates technology. He creates things. Uh, he's, he's the father of technology and, and all those advances. And you know, you can thank Tubal Canes for your iPhones or. Whatever other kind of phone you use, it turns my text bubbles green. You know, that's Tubal Cain. He's the father of those things. And these are the building blocks of all cultures, aren't they? The arts, commerce, technology. These are good things. These are good things we see coming from this line of Cain. And there's this kind of hint that we're going to see actually throughout these first few chapters of, of, of Genesis is this idea of common grace where God has a grace that's common to all who are here on this earth, where all humans have capacity to create and do good. And maybe you've wondered before, how, how could a person who is so wicked uh, do something good? And God takes these things that were created from this evil line, and what does he do with them? But he actually uses these things to build his own temple, to construct it. There's bronze, there's irons in, these, in the temples. He, he's using the, these instruments that were created from this line to, to, to worship himself with. And uh, the, the, the very instruments used to praise the living God are come from the line of Cain. This is kind of profound truth you find that all good things find their ends in God. So even in this lineage of death, you find just this little hint of God's grace. His patience is at work. His common grace is at comes even in unexpected places, even in the sons of Lamech, because Lamech is the most vile of Cain's descendants. In Lamech, you find the pinnacle of the evil that came from his line. And it says that, you know, although you see the grace of God at work in this line, the final quote here is not an accident here uh, in uh, verse 23. He is saying, although good can, can still come, can happen to you when you walk in the line of Cain, it's end game is death, and you should not desire it. He says this in verse 23. Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice, you wives of Lamech, listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. First, before we jump into this, just a quick aside, because I think this is kind of important. What you find in Lamech is the first polygamous relationship in the Bible, and so, to say just a quick word about polygamy, you know, some people wondered: Was does the Bible can, is the Bible okay with polygamy? Because it seems like there's various people who have multiple wives. Is that okay? Well, the answer from scriptures: Absolutely not. The Bible is not okay with polygamy. Actually, in, in every instance of polygamy, if you start going through Genesis, and we're going to bump into this as we study Genesis, is every relationship that is polygamous, uh, that polygamous relationship is the source of much tension in lives. It's the source of uh, much turmoil and bad things. Um, polygamy is never the source of joy in life in someone's relationship here. It's the source of turmoil. But you might question, well then, if it's so bad, and if God's against it, then why doesn't he just say it? He says so many other things that he's against, why can't he just say, hey, no polygamy, guys? Well, for one, I mean, think about the culture Cultural moment of this day. What would happen if you had multiple wives, and, and and wives were cast off due to this ban? Well, the wives that were cast off would be destitute. They would have nothing. Uh, they would be alone, cast out into the fields to care for themselves. And so, it wouldn't actually be loving and caring just to have a, a second wife, uh, to for the second wife to just ban this this polygamous thing that was happening. But what the gospel does is it actually embeds itself in culture in order to, to transform it. It's not as top down as much as it's bottom up. And this is how we actually have a vision of the church transforming the world, right? By being here and being raised up and sent out, you can't help but bring the transforming power of the gospel to bear wherever you find yourselves in your businesses in your workplace in the coffee shops you start and in in, you know, being a, a, a judge or courtroom or you know, politics, all those things, the gospel will come out and it will transform from the laundry room to the coffee shops. So, so that's one reason why this wouldn't have been banned in that moment is because it would actually have been the most unloving thing to that second wife. She would have had nothing if she was, it was just banished. Also in the, in the New Testament, what is required of an elder? What is required of like you peak uh, following God? What well, to be a one woman man, it tells us in, in 1 Timothy 3. So the Bible, I would say is clear. Polygamy is not good. It's not what's intended. So don't, don't do it. That's my quick aside there. Back to Lamech. Um, you know, what we find about Lamech is Lamech is the last in the line, right, listed here uh, from, from uh, Cain. He's the seventh generation from Adam. It, this is the pinnacle of this line. And what do we find in the pinnacle of this line? But we find that the, the true fruit of walking in the way of self and walking in the way of Cain. And it says that that fruit is rotten to its core. All right, Lamech is a scoundrel here. What is he doing? He calls his wives, wives, come to me. Let me boast in my actions. And what is he boasting? He's boasting in his murder. Saying, listen, I killed a man for wounding me. And he says, a young man, which that young man really should be translated young child. We're talking like a 10-year-old or younger child. I killed this young child for striking me. This is awful. This isn't self-defense that he's like boasting of. This is Murder. And in uh, what are his final words here in verse 24? He says this: If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is seventy-sevenfold. So not only is he boasting about murder, which is something his his great father Cain didn't even do. Like at least he had the decency to hide his murder. But what does he say? He says, "I'm going to do it again. So I did it once, I did it twice, and I will do it again. My revenge is seventy-sevenfold." His thirst and his lust for evil up until this time is unparalleled. This is the fruit of Cain. This is the fruit of this city. And he is the final listed in this line to show the people. Listen, this is, you know, the people that are hearing this for the first time or us today. This is where are walking in the way of self. This is where walking on your own. This is where building your own cities and your own kingdoms leads you. This is where taking vengeance for yourself leads you, leads you to a place where your thirst for blood can never be quenched. When you take justice into your own hands, you cease to trust God who is working about his justice in this world, and there is no end to this path for you, except for death. And just like, you know, very related to what we talked about last week in and sin, and, and just like sin is is insidious in how it leads you down pathways that seem innocent but end in death, so we find this is what happens when you walk on your own apart from God, it leads you to a place where you'd murder children. Which, you know, begs a question. If this is so bad, and we all know this is bad, and everyone here would be against murdering children, why do we go down this pathway sometimes? Why why is this this the sin of Cain so tempting to us? Well, for one, you don't start at the end of the line, right? You don't start killing children. And so it, there's a descent that happens into the Lamechness, and it's not fast, right? It's a slow descent. So that's one. But secondly, I think we begin to descend down this pathway uh, because God's way is so slow. Uh, and this, is, this can be what is so hard about walking with God, it's God's time. He works over thousands of years, over generation, and generation. This is like the smallest list of genealogies you're going to find in the Bible, right? Just look at First Chronicles. It's, it's deep. right? God's work is slow. And I, and I think we start down this path because his way is so slow. And this can be, be what is so hard about walking with God that he, he works over time. And, and sometimes God and his providence will lead us down the, into the shadows of death, and we, like Cain, do not like living, living with dissonance in our lives. So what do we do when we're walking down the path of death and the path of discomfort? Well, we jump to, to resolve and fix things as fast as we can, things that we can't possibly fix. Walking with Cain is saying, listen, I'm the king of my own life. I will go my own way on my own terms. I will make my own rules. I'll listen to God sometimes, but only when it suits me and my own schedule. And we do this ultimately, I think, because we aren't sure that walking with God will actually work. Right? Can we actually trust his ways? If I'm not going to see the fruit of this thing in my own life even, if my children's children might not even see the, the true fruit of, the, of, of walking with God in life, then can we really trust him? Are they really the best? Do they really lead to life? And Cain's ways can seem easier because they can kind of work at first. They can produce good things sometimes. But what we see here is it does not work in the end. And I think Psalm 23 begins to sum up what walking with God well, right? That although walking with God will lead you into the valley of the shadow of death, walking with God is the only way through it. It's the only way through death into life abundant, to a cup that's overflowing. The only way we get there is by walking with with God even in death, to trust him, to hope in him, even as we mourn. This is the way to life. And this is what you actually find in the line of Seth. You find a people that have have actually walked through the most unimaginable death and mourning that you can imagine to see light and life. So the second thing we see here is that walking with God leads to life and to rest. And this life of walking with God, we see here beginning in verse 25, it says, And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me Another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. And how the tables have turned here for Adam and Eve. You know, we, we last found them experiencing the pains of death. Right? The, the most unimaginable tragedy of bearing your children. And where, and, and where do we find them here? What do we find them doing? But I think we find them waiting on the Lord. They have walked through the valley of the shadow of death and they have not lost hope. They haven't lost their faith. I mean, look at the faith of Eve here, where she says, God has appointed. Now, hey, look what we've finally done, Adam. We're gonna rebuild our own kingdom, but God has done this. God has appointed this. She trusted God to bring about a better seed. She again is walking with God like she did in the, in the garden, trusting him to bring about his promises. Although the line to this point was not straight, there's murder and exile between. That's the definition of crooked. It seems that she is waiting on the Lord. For maybe the first time in her life, she didn't try to make it happen on her own, but she trusted him to appoint an heir. We don't know how long they had to wait until this moment. Knowing God, it could have been a long time before they had to wait to to have Seth. But God did bring her an heir. God blessed them, and, 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 and she named her son Seth, which means appointed. And in his name, she remembers the promises of God that God has not forgotten her. Even in the worst imaginable state, God has not forgotten her. And the fruit we find here in verse 26 is they began to call on the Lord. At that time, the people began to call upon the name of the Lord. So The fruit of this patience is is not just for their own family, but I guess all of it was their family at that time. But everyone starts to uh, call upon the name of the Lord. Faithfulness begets faithfulness. You know, there's this truth that we know that sometimes we don't want to admit, but our children love the things that we love right? For better or worse. And because Adam and Eve waited on the Lord, now their children are beginning to wait on him. They're beginning to call on him. They trust him. He's one that's to be trusted. He comes through. And then we get this new list of generations from Adam through Seth. So you have this one list, you know, over here, Adam through Cain. And now we have Adam through Seth. And the pattern you see is, you know, birth, bearing children, death. It all ends with thus you know, the days of Adam, he lived 930 years and he died. And then you get thus all the days of Seth were 912 and he died and he died and he died. And it's kind of this pattern that we get with in with each child that's born, there's there's this question, right? Is this the one? Is this the Messiah that's come to, to crush the head of the serpent? And you know, is is this the one? There's always a question about the seed, which this may seem funny to us reading this because we know like how long it took, but they didn't know that. For them, every, every child could have been the one, could have been the great serpent crusher. God is slow in bringing his promises. And this pattern continues until we get to, to Enoch in verse 24. And it says, and Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. First time we get this change in this pattern, which is kind of strange. It's this little hint that begins to tell us God has not forgotten his promises. Thousands of years have taken place between Adam and and now Enoch being taken. God has not forgotten his promises. Walking with God will lead you to life. This little glimmer of a story, it says walking with God will give you life. Do you want life? Walk with God. Is Enoch the Messiah? No. Is he the great serpent crusher? No. But it is a bright light and a pattern of death that says, keep walking with me. God is bringing his kingdom to bear. He is building his way. God is at work. It is slow, but it's happening. And what's interesting here is that that if you were listing the genealogies side by side, Enoch is the seventh in this line, right? Lamech was the seventh in, in his line, and where Lamech is the pinnacle of his father's line and death and vileness. So Enoch is the pinnacle of this line, right? Faithfulness, walking with God, trusting God. This is the thing that leads you to life. We're meant to kind of compare these two. God is showing his people, walking with God is the way that brings you to life. It's the only way. And we're called to patiently wait on him. In a, in a way, the Cain, uh, the Cain Lamech is, is almost mocked in this line by Enoch. It's actually not just by Enoch, but then you find that, that a Lamech is, is born here in the, in the Seth line. And even his life, I think, mocks the life of the Cain Lamech because how long did, did this Seth, Sethian Lamech live? so 777 years. It's not an accident. I think it's a play on numbers. It's because of what Lamech said back in verse 24, right? That Cain's revenge is sevenfold and Lamech's is 77 fold. I think he's saying, listen, revenge does not get the last word. The line of Cain, although it might grant you immediate success, is not the one that wins out in the end. The line of Seth does. It's no accident, this is a longer list of names here in the line of Seth as well. It's saying that this one is greater. This is the greater one, the one that leads to life. And this leads to the last listed here, which is Noah. And what does Noah's name here means? It means relief. It means rest. Walking with God is the way that leads you to rest. And it's the only way that can, because what do you find in Cain in his line? You find Toil. And then this toil, you find curses upon curses. You have to build yourself. And if you have to build yourself, it means you have to maintain yourself. But when you walk with Cain, everything depends on you. It's just toil upon toil upon toil. But when you walk with God, what do you find? You find rest. Because who is sustaining you? You? No, it's God's the one that sustains you. God is the one who's building his kingdom through you. God, when you walk with when you walk with God, you can rest because you actually begin to understand who you are. You understand your place. How can you put your work down on Sunday to come and worship? Because you trust God. That your work doesn't depend on you after all, that, that we don't sustain ourselves. Who here doesn't long for rest? Who here does not long for relief from a world that's broken, from a world that that is painful? Who doesn't long for these things? The noise of this world is everywhere. This world is taxing and it can be so easy for us to think that we need to quiet this noise ourselves and we need to build our own cities and that we need to take our own vengeance. But rest is not something that you can manufacture for yourself. Your vain attempts at it will just leave you more exhausted. The only place that we can find rest, true rest, is in God himself. Seth couldn't provide it, he died. Noah, whose whose name means relief, he couldn't do it. He, He died. He wasn't the Messiah. This is why all this points to the one who did come in the line of Seth, generations upon generations away from this moment, Jesus. And why all these lineages in the Bible are important because in them, what you can do is you can trace the ever faithfulness of God. He is never thwarted from his ways. No matter how much sin came <laughs> through the lineage of God's people, which there was lots of sin, just read Judges if you don't believe me. No matter all, through all of that, through all the wickedness, through all the judgment, he kept his promises. He kept his seed, and he, it, through thick and through thin, he had not forgotten, forgotten his promises to bring about the seed that was going to come and crush the head of the serpent. And in Jesus, we find that man. Jesus, the second Adam who restores his lineage and bears the curse the great curses of humanity on himself on the cross. Jesus, the, the better Enoch, right? Enoch transcended death, but what did Jesus do? He didn't just transcend death, but he actually passed through the gates of death and stripped it of its power as he rose again. Jesus is the great restorer of the line of man who came to crush the head of the serpent and all evil and all evil's offspring. Jesus himself, who mocked the seed of Cain, you know, when he tells his, his disciples that you need to forgive seven times 77 things, seven times 77, I keep referring back to this story. He's thinking of Laman, who had to seek vengeance for himself, but in Christ we have our great av- avenger. He who took the guilt and the pain of sin on himself. Your sin has been dealt with. It has been avenged already. This is why you can actually forgive people. Because you don't have to avenge your own sin. And people sin against you. Jesus has done this work for you. And he's come to give you relief from sin and all its effects of living in a sin-torn world. And he bids you to come rest. lay your vengeance down. lay your deadly doing down. Find your rest in me. Even though you may walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you need not fear because I am with you walking. You know, Jesus' whole ministry is actually contained in his walking, his footsteps. And he bids us to come and walk with him. He invites us into life with him. And this is lineage ultimately, I think, is teaching us to be a people at rest. Rest that God will fulfill his promises through thick and thin, no matter what's happening in your life, God will be faithful to fulfill his promises. So rest in him. May we be a people who are so enamored by the faithfulness of God that we can't help but to rest in him. And we be a people who faithfully walk with God and so much that our legacy is like Enoch's that one day people will say about this church that it was around for such and such amount of years and they walked with God and they rested in Christ. Pray with me. Merciful God, we give you thanks for your word. Even these lineages in the scriptures that point us to your great faithfulness, that although we forget from generation to generation, you never forget your promises, that you will bring them to bear in this world and in our our lives. Help us to believe when it's so hard to believe. Strengthen us to rest in you when everything inside us tells us to run and to work and to build our own cities. Help us to rest, to hope, to find our peace, to find our comfort in you and in you alone.